Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris as the greats of the game share their stories, insights and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is PGA professional Keith Jarvis. Keith has been a teaching professional and a uh, playing career that spans 30 years now, and he's taught here in the U.S., plus over in Japan and Mexico. He was a lead instructor for ESPN's golf schools back in 2006 when Hank Haney was the dean of instruction there. He's taken lessons from Hank and attended his Teach the Teacher sessions. He hosted a golf school here in Atlanta with Andy Plummer and Mike Bennett, who are the founders of the Stack and Tilt Swing Methodology. He was a head golf pro and director of instruction at the Heritage Golf Club in Atlanta. He is now a Golf Channel Academy lead instructor up in New Jersey and also is a certified U.S. kids coach. And I'm very excited to have Keith with me as part of the show tonight. Hey, Keith, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Keith, I always like to start when when a guest joins me for the first time, kind of going all the way back to the beginning regarding the game of golf for you. When did you start playing golf and who was the first person to put a club in your hands? So I started playing golf when I was 12 and it was my stepbrother and stepsister that took me for the very first time. I was always more into like skateboarding and surfing and stuff like that. And, um, they took me out and that was it. I knew, I knew I wanted to play and I wanted to get better. So when you, when you got out on golf, that's interesting. You know, a lot of times I hear it's a parent or a teacher or something like that. Stepbrother and stepsister. So were they already deeply entrenched in the game or was it just something you say, Hey, let's go, let's go see what this golf thing is all about. I don't think they were really entrenched to it. It was just one of those things where you got out to the par three and, you know, played a few holes and I'd never been before. So, um, it was great. So from there, you started to fall in love with the game. Did you, did you go take lessons at that point? How did you start to uh, really get ingrained in the sport? Um, well, I didn't start out with lessons very much at the beginning. It was more just <laughs> digging it out of the dirt, so to speak. Um, my great grandfather, uh, brought me a set of clubs for my birthday. They were Northwesterns in a carry bag with a pull cart. I'll never forget it. From there, when did you decide, you know what, golf is going to be your passion. You're going to go down the path of being a PGA professional and, uh, really wanting to get ingrained and ultimately become a great teacher of the game. Um, you know, I think it really started in high school because one of the high schools I went to was right across the co- uh, street from a golf course. And so I used to go over there and hit balls um, a bunch. And I'm trying to remember the name of the guy uh, that helped me. You know, when you're you're in high school, you think everybody's old. Now I'm 54. Um, but it was an older <laughs> guy, and I believe he was like this long drive champion in that area. And, and now his name's coming to me. It was Tony Dominic. And um, he was the very first pro that ever. He used to see me down at the end of the range just hitting balls. He'd walk down there, and he'd give me a few pointers here and there. and um, you know, by the time I was, uh, at the end of my high school years, I was already starting to break par. So I kind of knew there was something there, but, um, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do from there. So who saw it in you? Was it him or is there somebody else that, that really started to say to you, you know what, Keith, you should really do this for a living? Um, you know, he used to always encourage me a lot because he could see that I had a swing, but, um, you know, I've had a lot of, a lot of people encourage me throughout the years. Um, 
mostly friends that I played with. And, you know, sometimes a friend would get better than you and you'd find out what he was doing and you'd try to do that too to be able to compete. And, um, you know, I don't know. It's, I can't think of anybody specifically that said, you know, you're going to do it. I think it was the first time I ever broke par. That's when I kind of knew that maybe I could do it. When did you do it? When was the first time you broke par? Um, I think I was still in high school. It was at Mountain Meadows Golf Course in California, and I shot a 71. Wow. And that's when I knew I could probably <laughs> shoot some pretty good scores. And Keith, like I mentioned in your intro, you have spent some time with Hank Haney. Talk about what it was like, uh, you know, under his tutelage and, um, you know, getting to work with and then ultimately get some pointers as well from uh, from Hank. Yeah, I took a lot of lessons from the time I was in um, high school uh, with one of his assistants, uh, Tim Kuzik, out in, out at PGA West, and a bunch of lessons from Hank afterwards in Dallas. And um, they were, you know, they were probably the best instructors I ever had at the time. Um, only the only like world class instruction I ever had. Um, and you know, it was really great to have an opportunity to join the ESPN Golf School because um, Hank was the dean of instruction and. Um, you just learn so much from a guy like that. You know, a lot of people can disagree with the swing philosophy or whatever, but, you know, if there's one thing that I learned from Hank, he used to have these little quotes, and one of them was, um, people never care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I've never forgotten that. So, Keith, when you're first, you know, starting to spend some time, whether it was with Tim Cusick, who you mentioned, or being around Hank, what did they have to say about your swing? Did they like your swing? Did they change everything? Did they just make a tweak here or there? What was it like when they evaluated your swing? Um, you know, it seemed like it wasn't too much of a change, but, um, you know, it's always harder when you're trying to do something different, even if it's just, if it's just a little bit. It was always, you always walked away feeling like you got better. And that's, that's what I really loved about those guys. So was it all swing mechanics or were there other things about mental approach or how you, uh, when you got out on the golf course, how you attack a golf course or that sort of thing? What were some of the things that they taught you about, about the swing and about playing the game of golf? Well, I would say that the thing that I probably learned the most back then was, you know, just how important it was to square the club face up. You know, Hank used to say, you can't go from being a slicer to a good golfer. You have to go from being a slicer to a hooker, and then you could be a good golfer. So what are some of the things that you learned from Hank that you have incorporated into your own teaching, methodo teaching methodology? Are there some things that you've taken from, you know, things you learned from Hank and some other instructors along the way and sort of meshed it into your methodology? Or is there something in particular that uh, that uh, you've taken from Hank? Um, the biggest thing I would say um, is understanding the ball flight laws a little bit better, you know, from Hank and um, standing the impact, probably the most important thing you could teach anybody. I still have students today that come to me that have been playing for 10, 15 years, and most of them don't hit the ground, and they definitely don't hit the ground in the right spot. And um, just focusing on that, you know, teaching them to take the divot in front of the ball um, really opens their eyes and gets them excited about how good they can become. And for me, that's everything. 
And Keith, like I say, you also spent some time um, learning from the learning the stack and tilt sort of swing from Andy Plummer and Mike Bennett. Talk about how the, that compares. Is that very comparable to the thing things that Hank teaches? How does stack and tilt, uh, you know, kind of sort of measure up to what you learn from Hank? I mean, I think it, I think it, uh, you know, is pretty similar in a lot of ways. I think stack and tilt gets a lot of harsh feedback um, because people just don't understand. You know, they see a picture in a magazine of somebody saying it should feel like this, and then they, all of a sudden they get labeled as, you know, everybody's reverse pivoting and stuff. And Andy and Mike definitely don't um, advocate that at all. Um, I think, you know, the way it, it's funny because I kind of lost my swing for a while, and I hadn't seen um, Hank or Tim in quite a while. And going through a lot of different instructors just trying to get my swing back, uh, I really struggled. And then I read the article that they did in Golf Magazine, and then I reached out to them to see if I could, you know, take some lessons and try to get back to work on my game. And I'll tell you what, what it really came down to is losing impact. They they said, look, this is the most important thing. You have to learn to be able to take a divot in front of the ball. I think on Mike and Andy's video, they have a picture of Mike hitting the ground 17 times in front of a line in a row. And Andy asked him, so, you know, if you're going to hit, you know, a dozen swings, how many of them would you say would be in front of that line? And he said, all of them. And he said, how many would be behind the line? He said, none. And I think if you can teach players um, how easy it is to actually learn to do that, it's a little frustrating at the beginning, but it's an eye-opener. I mean, it's it's changed my game. It's changed the way I teach. And it's changed, you know, it's just, it's been amazing. Funny because I get so many people that come and say, well, you know, I'm trying to teach them to hit the ground the right spot. And they say, well, what about my grip? What about my plane? What about this? I'm like, when we look at the best players in the world, nobody holds it the same. Nobody stands the same. Nobody has the same alignment. Some guys are closed. Some guys are a little open. Some are square. So if you're looking at the things that we always thought were the fundamentals, that nobody gets better in 30 years as far as their handicaps are concerned, you know, what really makes the difference? It's got to be ball striking, I mean, in my mind. So, you know, I say, look, with the grip, do we need to adjust your grip? I don't know. Hank used to say never adjust grips in golf schools. You might only have one day to work with that person. And if you adjust their grip right out of the box, they're dead for the whole day. So you just got to, you know, work with what you have and, you know, try to adjust the ball flight. And if the ball flight is a result of the grip they have, then maybe you might try to tweak it a little bit. But I always try to take what they have and teach them to hit the ground in the right spot before I do any kind of tweaking with their grip or their stance or whatever. You just hear so many stories out there. I don't know if this is true, but I heard that Harvey Penick used to get his pros lined up and say, okay, there's your target. And they'd just start hitting balls till they got to the target. And then he'd set a club down on their heels so they could see what their alignment had to be for them to hit the target. I mean, every we're all different. You know, we have to figure it out. And Keith, for, for our listeners who've heard of Stack and Tilt but may not be exactly sure what it is, talk about what that swing methodology is. Well, what I would say is it's, um, it's uh, learning to hit the ground in the right spot so you can compress the ball. Um, learning to hit it far enough to play the course in a reasonable amount of strokes, and then learning to control the curve. You can't be hitting big curveballs out there getting you in trouble. I mean, in a nutshell, that's kind of what it comes down to me in my, you know, in simplest form. 
And Keith, I, I want to get a couple of playing lessons from you because being up in New Jersey, I imagine not a lot of golf is being played right now. So what are some drills that you give your students to do, you know, sort of over the winter when you can't play to keep, you know, keep their golf swings going and making sure we don't get too rusty over the winter? Yeah, I'd say, you know, get a mat, put a towel on the ground and keep trying to hit the towel as many times as you can um, in a row. Right. So um, Mike and Andy would say you got to be able to do this 100 times out of 100 to ever be any good. And if you think about that, if you can't break the hundred, but you could hit the, you could compress the ball and hit the way you're supposed to, uh, maybe not a hundred times better, but maybe that's your goal. I, I definitely don't see you staying above a hundred too long when you start hitting better shots. Um, so that's a good one. Just a towel drill, learning to hit the ground in the right spot. Um, you know, I like swinging with a towel under both arms just to keep my arms connected to my body. I think that's a good one. I think, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of visualization, you know, imagine you're, one thing I, I really grind on everybody about is looking more at the target and less at the ball. If your brain doesn't know where you're trying to hit the ball, then it just loads the random hit golf ball pattern. And so there's not, because there's not a target out there, you just kind of take what you get, you know, but to see people on track man hitting a bunch of lefts and I say, well, where's your target? And they just slow down the middle, and then what I'll do is I'll film them, right? I'll just, from the time they, like, I'll make them stand behind the ball, and I'll just film them. And they never look out at any target, even though they might be hitting it into a net because it's cold here. Um, there's still no target, and they don't know why they're hitting it left. So they have to understand what makes the ball go left, you know, initially, and, um, you know, how to get that face to point in another direction to stop hitting it left. And target's the fastest way that I've found to be able to do that. So to that end, Keith, you talk about how you can't hit big curveballs. For those of us that are struggling with that, for those of us struggling with the big slice, whether it's a banana slice or, or the push slice, what is something that we can focus on and take to the range that's going to help us straighten that ball flight out? So the first thing I would say is if you're a slicer, I would be willing to bet my life that your path is probably a little to the left. Um, I hate saying outside in because... Um, you know, everybody says things different, but I'd just say your path is a little to the left. So what I'd want to know is where, where is your ball starting? Is it starting left in slicing? Is it starting straight in slicing? Or is it starting out to the right and slicing more? Right? So in general, you know, if you didn't want to take the time to learn to draw, the very first thing I would say to you is just try to start hitting, closing the face more. So you hit it down the left side more so that the path and the face, you know, there was a smaller differentiator between the numbers so that it wouldn't curve as much. I mean, when I when I start getting people to hit the ball solid, then the next thing I look at is what is their path? What's their natural path? If their path to the left, I just turn them into cutters. If their path to the right, I turn them into drawers. Look, if you don't have the time to invest to change your um, left path to a right path so you can draw the ball, I can make you a heck of a lot better faster if you just stay with your natural swing and turn you into a cutter. You're going to be hitting it so solid, it's going to go just as far, if not further, than you've ever hit it, hit it in a while anyway. Keith, one more before we let you go. And as I mentioned, you're a top sure. U.S. kids coach. What are you doing with your kids as a coach to, to keep them enjoying the game and coming back and wanting to continue to play and get better? How do you keep them engaged? Um, number one, I limit my lesson time with them to half hours. So um, that kind of helps a little bit. 
but you've got to play a lot of games with them. And then you've got to be aware. You know, some days you, they walk in, you can tell they don't feel good. They don't want to really engage. And so I'll do a beat the pro or something, or we'll have a big putting game. And I'll say, okay, you can make up any hole you want in our facility. And we're, we're going to see who gets the lowest score. So you, you make the first hole, you make the second hole, I'll make the third hole, and we'll see who wins. You know, so I just try to do stuff like that. Just keep it, keep it going, keep it exciting. Um, different things like, um, the girls from Vision 54 do. Um, I have their little card game. I play that card game with them all the time. Every, every time I play the card game with kids, they say, as soon as they come in, they say, can we play the card game today? I mean, they love it. It's just great. And it's different things like you pick a trajectory, you pick a club, you pick your, um, play box, which could be, you flip it over and say, imagine your, your swing path as a, glittering wheel spinning around, right? So that's your play box thing to get in there without thinking about mechanics. And then you might have a six iron and then it might say left foot only with your right hand only, you know? And it just challenges them to be creative and, you know, makes it fun. U.S. Kids Golf has, you know, they have a lot of games too that they teach all of us at the beginning. They got the tic-tac-toe game. So you stripe out a little tic-tac-toe with some tape on the ground and you get them to play different putting games like that. Um, there's a lot, so many resources out there, but, you know, I'm a Titleist Performance Institute junior coach, and, um, you know, the number one thing that I learned from them is that the number one thing kids want to do when they do a sport is they want it to be fun. If it's not fun for them, they won't stay engaged. Well, Keith, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Um, The best way probably, well, I guess I, I guess, uh, Golf Channel Academy is still going to be working on my new site pretty soon, but you can find me on there under instructors in New Jersey. Um, my Twitter is Keith Jarvis Golf, and my Instagram is Keith Jarvis Golf. So those are always the best okay, ways it to certainly has. It certainly has been fun having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime because uh, you got a lot of great lessons and you're doing a lot of great things. We'd certainly love to have you continue to be a part of the show. I'd love to, and thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Take care, Keith. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up again soon. All right, Chris. Same to you. Thanks. Take care, Keith. That is Keith Jarvis, and uh, a lot of great stuff up there in New Jersey. If you happen to be up in the New Jersey area, go check him out. Find him online with uh, the Golf Channel, like you go on Golf Academy, and you're going to find a lot of good things from Keith and and follow him on Twitter as well. Really look forward to having him back on the show. A lot of fun having him here tonight. 